Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. There are thousands, perhaps as many as over 10,000 children that the Trump administration viciously and cruelly intentionally separated from their parents with intentional cruelty in the hopes that that cruelty, the word of that cruelty, would get back to Guatemala and Honduras and El Salvador and cause people to say, you know, I really don't want to put my kid through that kind of hell. I'm not going to go try to emigrate to the United States. And how do we know this? Because both Kristen Nielsen and John Kelly, her mentor, told us this. They have been right up front about this right from the get-go. We are going to inflict enormous pain on these little children and their parents. And that pain we want communicated back to people in Guatemala and Honduras and El Salvador and, and Mexico as well so that they don't send their kids here. So now the courts are saying you have to reunite these kids. And... This story shows up in today's AP News. And why this isn't the lead story in every single newscast in America, I don't know. But this is it. It's by Elliot Spaggett. It is uh, the Associated Press, APNews.com. And uh, the Trump administration says it would require extraordinary effort to reunite what may be thousands of children who have been separated from their parents. And even if they could because they don't want to do the extraordinary effort. Even if they could, the children would likely be emotionally harmed by being reunited with their families. You get this? They're saying, the argument they're making now, Julian White, who heads the Health and Human Services Department's efforts to reunite migrant children, said removing children from their sponsored homes to rejoin their parents, quote, would present grave child welfare concerns, end quote. He said, and I quote, it would destabilize the permanency of their existing home environment and could be traumatic to the children. In other words, they they took these children, one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old, they took them away from their parents months ago, in some cases a year ago, and these kids have now been in these foster families or these uh, relative families all this time, and they have bonded with those families. And if you take them away from those families and give them back to their natural parents, it's going to be traumatic. So we can't, we're not going to do that. 
Ann Maxwell, the Health and Human Services Assistant IG, said that uh, the uh, number is certainly larger than the 2,737 kids listed in government court documents. She says it's in the thousands. Jelly Selag, the director of uh, HHS's Office of Refugee Settlement, says it would take eight hours to review each of its 47,000 cases between July 1st of, of uh, 2017 and the, the June court order, the uh, last June's court order for, to reunite. So that's a whole year. 47,000 cases says it would take eight hours per case, and that adds up to 100 employees working 471 days. She says that uh, such an assignment would substantially imperil options unless we dramatically increase staff. Well, friggin' increase your damn staff. I mean, come on. This is, this is obscene that we've got, what, 47,000 families tied up in this thing where, where families and children, and we, and we know we've got at least 48,000 people who have not committed any crime, who are in for-profit private prisons, they haven't committed any crime, and they're in these prisons where they're being forced to work for as little as a dollar an hour or nothing, this is insane. None of these people have committed crimes we have 52,000 beds now, three-quarters of them, two-thirds of three-quarters of them are owned by private for-profit corporations that are literally making billions of dollars on our, our detention centers, our concentration camps, our internment camps. And now the people in those camps are starting to commit suicide. Possibly as many as hundreds of them who are being force-fed right now uh, through their nose or through their, through their butts. And they're having bleeding and pain and vomiting and all kinds of problems. They're trying to kill themselves. And these for-profit corporations are keeping them alive because hey, every day that they're alive is more, you know, they can ding the government for some more money. Meanwhile, Gabe Ortiz has been doing some really great reporting on this stuff over at Daily Kos for quite some time now. He's on the staff at Daily Kos, and he's got a piece. The, uh, the headline, Asylum Seeker, says daughter is now afraid of people following a week's long separation. Cindy Flores was separated by, you know, Kristen Nielsen and her buddies uh, down at the border from her one-year-old daughter, Greshel. And uh, they took Greshel away for a full month, and then finally Cindy got her back. And Cindy says, my daughter is different from the last time I saw her. She was very playful, very, very happy. Now she's afraid of people. She's not the same. And then Gabe Ortiz describes this video at the, where she met her daughter at the San Francisco airport. And her daughter, Greshel, cries in the chaperone's arms as Flores reaches out for her. Cindy's reaching out to her daughter, and the child does not reach back. Even one day of separation from your parents when you're one year old can, can produce lifelong post-traumatic stress disorder. This is a month. And we now learn that the Trump administration has been doing this for well over a year to thousands, tens of thousands of children in order to cause pain. I mean, they admit this. They are trying to cause enough pain in these children and these parents that other children and parents from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador will look at that and say, I don't want to put my kid through that. I won't come to the United States. 
I mean, they, they came right out and said this. This is a deterrence policy. It's what John Kelly called it. We are inflicting pain on these people as a policy. I had some fool call earlier and well, I, I watch Fox News and they told me and they, they you know, I can show you the links that Obama was separating children from their parents at the border. Well, yeah, if the parents were abusive or if they weren't actually their parents, the Obama policy was protect the child at all costs. And if that meant separating a child from somebody who might have been smuggling kids, yeah, of course. But the Trump policy is literally a completely different thing. It's punish these parents by torturing their children in order to dissuade other people from coming here. That is, in my opinion, morally criminal. And frankly, I think it's legally criminal. We've got 48,000 people in detention centers, in concentration camps, and it's generating billions of dollars in profit for two large for-profit corporations. Tell me this isn't about as screwed up as it gets. Carolyn in Hemet, California. Hey, Carolyn, what's on your mind? When I was a child, I was placed in foster care because we had become so impoverished that my mother could no longer tend to us and was so depressed she couldn't tend to us. And this was a wonderful foster family, a beautiful, kind, wonderful foster family who took my sister and I in. It took three years for us to get back. This has marred and marked my life. I'm 65 years old. I have spent endless hours uh, on psychiatric couches. And I wanted to talk about someone else that gets hurt in this that I came to understand. When later, I wound up working as a child abuse investigator in Florida. The mm -hmm. foster parents, the wonderful foster parents, I requested of my director at that time to allow me to train them up as uh, foster parents on one issue. And it was understanding that the children they were tending to, that, I'm sorry, that they, these children, would have problems expressing and, and being able to reciprocate all the love they were being given because we felt guilty that we are betraying our parents when we start to fall in love with our foster parents that are wonderful to us. Right. And when I left, they sent me endless amounts of letters and I could not write them back because I just wanted to forget that I had ever been separated from my parents from my mother mm. and how long it had taken to get back. Wow. That's... So this, this is just so odious what's oh, it's... going on. This is, this is about, criminal. You know, my, my situation was so different. And as I said, I was so well treated. I got to meet the parents that I was going to be with. There was a process. These kids being ripped apart as they are, it, that's all I have to say. Yeah, well, you said it very well, Carolyn. Thank you for sharing your story with us. That's that's profound. Thank You're you welcome. so much. And and I, you know, I hope your your healing continues apace. Pat in Corte Madera, California. Hey, Pat, what's up? Hi, I'm actually in Carbondale, Illinois. Uh, okay. This 
week because I am an author who writes about Buckminster Fuller and sort of this overall sense in America today wondering who are we and why mm. are we doing what we're doing and why are we not doing what we should be doing, um, which is taking on the fossil fuel industry. And what I would love to say to a lot of people listening who I think are just grasping for, for what they can do or, or what they can hold on to, it's that it is all connected. The human rights, the peace and justice, the environmental issues is all related to the fact that the people of America have lost control and we need to get it back. And it feels like it's happening. I really recommend people read some of the things that Buckminster Fuller wrote. So 50 years ago, he wrote a manual for Spaceship Earth, which basically explained a lot of what is happening today. Yeah, I agree. It was brilliant. Also, the grunge of giants was brilliant. It was about corporate personhood. Pat, I'm sorry we're out of time, but thank you. Mike in Fresno, California. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind? Thanks for watching Free Speech TV. Yeah, hi, Tom. I spend three months with Republicans, and I've listened to these arguments over and over again, and I just want to give you their response on two of them. Okay. They believe once you take money from the government, you'll be hooked for life. You'll never work another day. On the border, they believe that everybody that's coming across the border is coming across just so that they can get free food, free housing, uh, free health care. And hmm. I, I hear this every summer. Yeah. Neither of those things, though, are demonstrably true. I mean, how do these mythologies survive the confrontation with reality? If you look at government welfare programs, whether it's health care, whether it's food, whether it's even just cash, you know, the earned income tax credits and things like that, what you find is that when people have an opportunity, uh, like as in a better job, to move up, to increase their pay, to get off government support, they almost always do it. There's this small percentage, maybe one or two percent of people in societies in general, in wealthy societies, who will be freeloaders their entire lives. I frankly don't mind supporting one or two percent if that means that the other 98 percent have a good quality of life. And I get that some Republicans are just horribly offended by that. But you know, Jesus said, you know, you're going to have the poor with you always. It's, it, there's always going to be, you know, some people who are going to exploit systems, but that doesn't mean that you do away with the systems. Mike, what am I missing? They just listen to Fox News and they get a mindset. And when one person comes out and says they're just coming here to take free food, I've got all the other Republicans all nodding, agreeing. Except it's, that I'm, in every state in the union, if you're not a citizen, you can't get access to welfare programs. Well, I think they're mixing up the migrants and the people that are coming for asylum. I think the people coming for asylum might possibly get some money, and they're just saying, no, they're all the same. Oh, if you're coming for asylum, yeah, you, you may qualify for some benefits, absolutely, because you're coming for asylum. And that's one thing, that I, whether it's on the Democratic side or Republican side, why can't we differentiate people that are coming just to get a, steal a job from the people that are coming to save their lives. Yeah. I just don't understand why the media, even MSNBC, can't specify that, that there's a difference. Well, this is one of the things that makes me crazy is that people keep referring to these folks as illegal immigrants or illegals and blah, 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 when in fact, over 90% of the people who are coming across our southern border right now are not looking for a job. They're fleeing death, destruction, violence, rape. I mean, you know, that's 
domestic violence, they are genuinely refugees, and the media never refers to them as refugees, which makes me just absolutely crazy. We have 52,000 beds now in internment camps in the United States. You know, two-thirds of them run by for-profit corporations. It's a major growth industry, pouring money into the Republican Party to jack this thing up. Mike, thanks for the call. Yeah, I think, I think maybe you're right. Everyone's talking about the decline in stock values over the last few months. If you've been listening to Lynette Zhang's YouTube show, you probably aren't surprised by the fall. Her fact-based research on markets, currencies, and economics is second to none. And her presentations have pointed to most every major downfall we've recently seen in the U.S. economy. Her video titled Just Before the Crash showed people the exact patterns to look out for and now has over 210,000 views and counting. Lynette Zhang has been on my show and works with my friends at ITM Trading. I highly recommend looking them up as they are pioneers in creating wealth protection strategies with gold and silver. If you're a strategic investor looking to protect your wealth or just hedge against the most volatile markets since 2007, then call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and join the top 1% who are now accumulating very specific types, dates, and qualities of physical gold and silver. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. Tom Arvin here with you. $750 per child per day is apparently what these uh, for-profit detention centers are being paid. When the Japanese were interned, it was like 120, 140,000 Japanese, something like that, that FDR put in internment camps on the West Coast. Our internment camps now have uh, over 48,000 people. We're pushing 50,000 people in our internment camps. Now, this is a, a huge explosion in people being uh, put into internment camps compared to the Obama administration. We have over 200 internment camps now in the United States. Two-thirds of them are run by private corporations uh, on a for-profit basis. At these privately run for-profit detention centers, the people who are being held have not committed any crime. Nobody is even arguing that they have committed a crime. So I think that they don't qualify for you may be a slave under the 13th Amendment. You know, it's, it's, it, they're not criminals. They're people waiting to have the government determine whether their claim for asylum is legitimate or not. These are all asylum seekers. But now we discover, and this Victoria Law writing about this in the New York Times a couple days ago, the title is End Forced Labor and Immigrant Detention, that these for-profit companies, in order to jack their profits up, are having the detainees, the people who are the prisoners in the internment camps, do the work that normally they would have to hire janitors to do. And again, keep in mind, these people are not charged with a crime. Wilhelm Helberriantos, a Guatemalan asylum seeker, said he had to either work for a few cents an hour or go without basic things like soap. One night, a guard awakened him for the 2 a.m. shift in the kitchen rather than his scheduled 10 a.m. shift. When he refused, the guard threatened to move him to a more violence-plagued dormitory. So Mr. Berrientos acquiesced. Martha Gonzalez from Mexico is detained in three different core civics prisons in Texas from May 2016 to August 2017. She was waiting for a T-1 visa. T-1 visas are what are given to victims of human trafficking. This was a woman who had apparently been like kidnapped and brought to the United States in human trafficking victim. And in the core civic detention camp, 
the internment camp. She worked in the kitchen. She sorted clothing. And once she once tried to take a day off, the prison staff punished her by refusing to give her basic hygiene supplies, such as sanitary pads and toothpaste. Private corporations hold more than 70% of the people in immigration detention. Again, none of them have committed a crime. The government pays them a fixed daily price per person, which is an economic incentive to run the facility as cheaply as possible, to rely on the detainees to cook the meals, mop the hallways, scrub the toilets, mow the lawns, even cut the hair. CoreCivic, their revenue, last year, $440 million. Geo Group, their revenue last year, $2.26 billion. They charge 12 bucks for a 15-minute phone call. They charge $11 for four ounces of toothpaste. CoreCivic, between 2016 and 2018, spent $2.8 million in lobbying and over $700,000 buying politicians with campaign contributions. Geo Group spent $4.4 million in lobbying and $2.5 on campaign contributions. So that's what's going on. And now what's happening is that these detainees, these people who are not criminals, who are fleeing violence, 48,000 of them are being held in internment camps in the United States now. These people are starting to commit suicide in large numbers. This by Matt Stevens yesterday in the New York Times. ICE says it is force-feeding detainees who are on a hunger strike. They are trying to commit suicide. And force-feed them through their nose. They run a plastic hose through the nose. And very often, those who are force-fed have to endure pain and bleed from their noses. And then they add, those who, were, uh, who have gone on hunger strike were placed in solitary confinement as punishment. There are as many as 30 people on a hunger strike in El Paso, Texas, in one center. It's barbaric, she says, this practice of force feeding. Since May of 2015, Freedom for Immigrants has documented 1,396 people on hunger strikes in 18 immigration detention facilities across the United States. And what are they protesting? Unsanitary and abusive conditions and the fact that their detention appears to be indefinite. The American Medical Association said the force feeding of hunger strikers is unethical and is never justified. But this is what we're doing. So how do we break this? How do we wake people up to this? How do, how do we even hold our heads up and say, I'm an American, when our country now has 48,000 asylum seekers in 200 internment camps across the country that are generating billions of dollars in profit for a couple of for-profit corporations. How do we do that? Wayne in Eugene, Oregon. Hey, Wayne, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I've had a thought, a suspicion about these missing children. Is there any kind of indication or evidence that you can think of that these children haven't been sold I would not be surprised to learn that at least some small fraction of them have been sold. Yeah, I think that's why they can't be returned. Well, they, apparently they can't be returned because Trump and Kelly and Nielsen and Pence ordered this brutal, brutal treatment in order to be a, quote, deterrent to parents south of the border. We're going to hurt these children so bad, you don't want to bring your children up here and subject them to this. That's essentially what John Kelly said in a press conference. I mean, he said this to the world, right? When they set out to do this, 
They didn't have any system, any plans for how to keep track of these kids. And this is, this again, even more gives the lie to their, oh, well, Obama did it too. No, Obama didn't do it. Nobody, no president in the history of the United States has torn children from their parents as a strategy to inflict pain on them to cause other people to say, I don't want that kind of pain. It's never is been this a done crime against before. humanity. It is a crime against humanity, in my opinion, Wayne. This is worthy of the Hague. And now to come out and say, oh, well, these children have now bonded with their foster parents. So you, want, you don't want to rip them away from their foster parents and give them back well, to their real parents. That would be traumatic. This is such we BS. We give back the money. We just don't know where these kids went. You know, some of them went to relatives, some of them went to foster families, some of them probably went to human traffickers. I mean, these guys are very sophisticated. There's a very high profit business selling selling kids. There's there's yeah. big a bucks. A new angle on this, Tom, is that these are Native Americans. They're Mayans. Yeah, by and large. Yes, the vast and majority I, of them. I think that's a factor that hasn't been brought out. These are Native Americans that we are treating this way, just right. like we treated them 150 years ago. Yep. They are. In this case, they're Native South and Central Americans, but, you know, they're, they're absolutely Native Americans. And, uh, and, and you're correct. Nobody's talking about that because by and large in the United States, when we talk about Native Americans, we're largely talking about people who are in, who are in North America, who were actually the descendants of the second large wave of immigrants to the, or to, to the Americas. Uh, the first large right. wave appears to have landed actually in Peru and, you know, spread across South America and going north. And then the, the people in North America appear to have crossed the Bering Sea land bridge and migrated south. But uh, so that, you know, they, they, they are uh, somewhat different genetically and all that kind of stuff. But, but still, these are people who have been on this continent for 20, 30, 40,000 years. And in fact, the Native Americans that we are stopping at the border and interring have probably been here longer than the Native Americans who we have put into residence reservations and against whom we committed such a large genocide that it actually changed the climate of the world. I mean, you know, which I'm going to get into tomorrow. This is mind boggling stuff. Wayne, thanks for the call. Beth in Valparaiso, Indiana. Hey, Beth, what's up? All right, Tom, I just wanted to comment on your news story regarding the border. Um, there's another news story that perhaps is, is just as bad or worse as Trump being let off the hook. And that is that many of these children's fathers, brothers, and uncles are being are on a hunger strike right now, and they are being force-fed. Yes, we talked about this. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. And there's, at the minimum, 19 people and possibly as many as 90 who are basically committing suicide in these uh, detention centers. They call them detention centers. Uh, I call them concentration camps um, or internment camps. And they have not committed any crime at all. They came to the United States seeking asylum. That is a legal thing to do. And we're paying, you know, hundreds of dollars a day to private for-profit corporations to house them. And then those corporations are recycling that money back to Republican politicians. It's obscene. It's almost worse than what FDR did in World War II in that it's... Oh, I think it's far worse than what FDR did, Beth, because FDR, you know, we were in a war. Right then. And FDR had concerns about the loyalty of Japanese citizens. It was racist. It was misplaced on, you know, in retrospect. But the United States had been attacked at Pearl Harbor. Right. We I mean, there was there was a crisis that had to do with Japan. And and uh, there is no crisis on our southern border. And these children and their parents are not criminals. And, you know, and this is being done just as a shout out to Donald Trump's racist base. That's a hell of a lot worse than what FDR did. FDR was not seeking political gain from interning the Japanese. In fact, he, he lost political points because of it. 
I, I agree with you 100%. Could I mention one more thing about the folks who are coming across the border from the South? Sure. Is that let's not forget that the if you want to talk about who belongs in the United States, these folks are 95% Native American people, okay? Their families have lived on this continent for like 30,000, 40,000 years, yep. something like that. So who belongs here for real? You know, we came over in times of distress from Europe, you know, they're coming here in their time of distress, and it's time for us to pay attention to the human rights issues. I agree. I agree. Beth, well said. Thank you very much for the call. Raul in El Paso, Texas. Hey, Raul, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's up? Hey, Tom, I'm thrilled to be talking to you. I love your show. Thank you. You are one of my liberal media heroes, along with Bill Moyers and Amy Goodman and Stephanie Miller and Rachel Maddow. I thank you. Thank you so much for your work. You're welcome. What's up? Like you, I come from a business and media background. I'm an entrepreneur in the financial services industry, and I once had a radio talk program called Everybody's a Philosopher, and it was one of the few liberal voices in our city here in El Paso, Texas. By the way, I am here on the border. I just had supper uh, Sunday night at Juarez, and I traveled to Chihuahua a couple of weeks ago. Let me tell you, Tom, there is no crisis on the border other than that, the one that's inflicted on these poor economic refugees seeking asylum here in the United States. Well, most of them aren't even economic refugees, Raul. They're, they're fleeing gang violence and, and death threats. I come from Beto land. You know, uh, we got one of the largest military installations in the country here called Fort Bliss. We used to have a, an Air Force base called uh, Briggs Air Force Base. So, so we know about Russians. I, I was scared the heck about the Russians when I was a little kid. We had air exercises here in El Paso in case, you know, we went to World War III, which in case we would have been bombed because we had bombers flying out of here on their way to Russia if it ever came to that. Yeah. So pretty scary here. Um, but anyway, I'll get to my point. Uh, I've got a, a couple of proposals. One is called Occupy Congress, and uh, people can see it by Googling, uh, Googling uh, my name, Raul Amaya, and they can find the article that came out in USA Today, uh, and it's called An Idea for Reforming Congress. And it gets down to the idea of drafting, via a, a voluntary lottery, 535 citizens to serve in Congress for one four-year term. Uh, all they'd have to do to qualify is to show that they vote, we want voters, and this will incent people to vote in the future, and, uh, and also that they could pass a citizenship exam. I imagine Donald Trump couldn't do it if we gave it to him right now. I doubt so he could. That's what it's basically about, that idea. Yeah. Um, and it would change a lot of things, uh, Tom. And, and, uh, so you're arguing and, that we that should go back to the system that the Greeks used, which uh, they, they, they called it the, the polis, as I recall. And, and uh, every, every year they, they, pulled, they had a lottery and they pulled 6,001 names. And if you didn't show up when your name, and you were basically a legislator for a year, and if you didn't show up, the word that they used to describe the persons whose names were chosen and didn't show up, it was idiota, which is the root of our word idiot. So that's what you're suggesting. Well, with a, mo with a modification, because the Democrats and Republicans would still be there, see? So they would continue to do their thing as they always have, but there would be this 535 citizens in there in addition to that. So it would break up. So you want to double the size of Congress? Yes, it would double the size of Congress. It would weaken the power of politicians of money in the system. Well, we're, we're out of time. It's fascinating stuff. Thanks for the call. You know, we've talked about that before on this program, you know, how the Greeks did it. And, you know, could that work? It seemed to have worked out for the Greeks for a while. But then at some point it didn't. <laughs>
Don't you just love it when something that's already amazing gets better? Well, that's the case with the X chair. The makers have taken what is arguably the most comfortable and supportive office chair in the world and made it even better by introducing wider seats in the X3 and X4 models of the X chair. That means extra support for those of us with wider bases. The good people at X chair are constantly innovating to help improve your working comfort and productivity. And now you can finance the purchase of your X chair for as little as $30 a month. Seriously, for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee, you can make 2019 your most comfortable and productive year ever by getting yourself an X chair. X chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com, that's xchairtom.com, or call 1-844-4X chair. X chair comes with a 30 day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, and get a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com. In the Tom Hartman Book Club today, our book is by France Fanon, and it's The Wretched of the Earth. This is from the chapter On National Culture on page 145. It sort of reads like uh, Thomas Paine, actually. Each generation must discover its mission, fulfill it, or betray it, in relative opacity. In the underdeveloped countries, preceding generations have simultaneously resisted the insidious agenda of colonialism and paved the way for the emergence of the current struggles. Now that we are in the heat of combat, we must shed the habit of decrying the efforts of our forefathers or feigning incomprehension at their silence or passiveness. They fought as best they could with the weapons they possessed at the time, and if their struggle did not reverberate throughout the international arena, the reason should be attributed not so much to a lack of heroism, but to a fundamentally different international situation. More than one colonized subject had to say, we've had enough. More than one tribe had to rebel. More than one peasant revolt had to be quelled. More than one demonstration had to be repressed for us to stand firm, certain of our victory. For those of us who are determined to break the back of colonialism, our historic mission is to authorize every revolt, every desperate act, and every attack aborted or drowned in blood. In this chapter, we'll analyze the fundamental issue of the legitimate claim to a nation. The political party that mobilizes the people, however, is little concerned with this issue of legitimacy. Political parties are concerned solely with daily reality. And it is in the name of this reality, in the name of this immediacy, which influences the present and future of men and women, that they make their call to action. The political party may very well speak of the nation in emotional terms, but it is primarily interested in getting the people who are listening to understand that they must join in the struggle if they quite simply want to exist. We now know that in the first phase of the national struggle, colonialism attempts to diffuse nationalist demands by manipulating economic doctrine. At the first sign of a dispute, colonialism feigns comprehension by acknowledging with ostentatious humility that the territory is suffering from serious underdevelopment that requires major social and economic reforms. And it is true that certain spectacular measures, such as the opening of work sites for the unemployed here and there, delay the formation of a national consciousness by a few years. But sooner or later, colonialism realizes it is incapable of achieving a program of socioeconomic reforms that would satisfy the aspirations of the colonized masses. Even when it comes to filling their bellies, colonialism proves to be inherently powerless. The colonial state very quickly discovers that any attempt to disarm the national parties at a purely economic level would be tantamount to practicing in the colonies what it did not want to do in its own territory. And it is no coincidence that today the doctrine of Cartierism is on the rise just about everywhere. 
Cartier's bitter disillusionment with France's stubborn determination to retain ties with people it will have to feed, whereas so many French citizens are in dire straits, reflects colonialism's inability to transform itself into a nonpartisan aid program. Hence, once again, no need to waste time repeating better to go hungry with dig dignity than to, fill one, to eat one's fill in slavery. On the contrary, we must per persuade ourselves that colonialism is incapable of procuring for colonized people the material conditions likely to make them forget their quest for dignity. Once colonialism is understood where its social reform tactics would lead it, back come the old reflexes of adding police reinforcements, dispatching troops, and establishing a regime of terror better suited to its interests and its psychology. Within the political parties, or rather parallel to them, we find the cultured class of colonized intellectuals. The recognition of a national culture and its right to exist represent their favorite stopping ground. Whereas the politicians integrate their action in the present, the intellectuals place themselves in the context of history. Faced with the colonized intellectuals debunking of the colonist theory of a pre-colonial barbarism, colonialism's response is mute. It is especially mute since the ideas put forward by the young colonized intelligentsia are widely accepted by metropolitan specialists. It is in fact now commonly recognized that for several decades, numerous European researchers have widely rehabilitated African, Mexican, and Peruvian civilizations. Some have been surprised by the passive passion excuse me, invested by the colonized intellectuals in their defense of a national culture. But those who consider this passion exaggerated are strangely apt to forget that their psyches and their egos are conveniently safeguarded by the French or German culture whose worth has been proven and which has gone unchallenged. I concede the fact that the actual existence of an Aztec civilization has done little to change the diet of today's Mexican peasant. I concede that whatever proof there is of a once highly Songhai, of the once mighty Songhai civilization does not change the fact that the Songhais today are undernourished, illiterate, abandoned to the skies and water with a blank mind and glazed eyes. But as we have said on several occasions, this passionate quest for a national culture prior to the colonial era can be justified by the colonized intellectuals' shared interest in stepping back and taking a hard look at the Western culture in which they risk becoming ensnared. Fully aware that they're in the process of losing themselves and consequently of being lost to their people, these men work away with raging heart and furious mind to renew contact with their people's oldest inner essence, the furthest removed from colonial times. Let us delve deeper. Perhaps this passion and this rage are nurtured or at least guided by the secret hope of discovering beyond the pleasant wretchedness, beyond the self-hatred, something that redeems us. The Wretched of the Earth by France Fanon. Tom Harvin here with you. On the line with us is the congressman who is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. And Congressman Pocan, is, his website is pocan.house.gov, and you can tweet him at rep, Mark, M-A-R-K, Pocan, P-O-C-A. And Congressman, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Great to have you with us. There's a lot going on. I'm not sure where, you know, what you'd like to comment on or where and all that kind of stuff, but you've got the situation with Medicare for all is becoming a big debate. You've got, you know, these billionaires coming out. You know, Schultz now is the most recent one saying, well, you can't do Medicare for all. You can't do free college education. What do you think? We're Germany? Uh, you know, a great industrial power? And I mean, it's just totally bizarre. And then we've got the shutdown. You know, the clock is running again. So, you know, what's at the top of your list? 
Well, I, I think, you know, because I serve on the Appropriations Committee, you know, we've got our subgroup that's out there trying to figure out how to solve not having to close the government down again with the three-week extension that's happened. You know, I think this is all connected in many ways, Tom. I think, you know, the president wants us to continue for the rest of the year to have three- and five-week extensions so that we're only talking about whatever he wants to talk about, and we're not talking about all the other stuff that's out there, whether it be all his newest involvements that's coming out with Russians having meetings privately, not having note-takers, you know, all the sort of stuff that's out there around that, the Mueller investigation, Michael Cohen, Roger Stone. You know, he did this shutdown back in December because it changed the subject, and we all got talking about something else. And I think he's going to try to continue doing that. So in three weeks, I don't know if we're really going to have agreement. I don't think he's going to shut the government down again because I think it failed miserably for him. But I do think he might try this emergency order or some other way to try to extend this conversation to not talk about all the other things that are happening. And, you know, we're really watching that very closely. Yeah, I'm concerned that he lives in this alternate universe. He's watching Fox and he actually thinks the shutdown worked. I mean, it's like... He's talking like that. But. But, but he definitely caved. I mean, that Friday, had it not been for the, and I had kind of been talking to folks for a while about that, is, you know, they had to feel it, and they couldn't not show up at work. And there's many restrictions. In fact, we have a bill out for circulation right now to allow federal employees the right to strike again, because what this showed us was in that 35-day shutdown, federal workers and contractors were treated horribly. They had no recourse. And even from the federal workers I've talked to back in my district, you know, the special panels and things that were put in place since they don't have the ability to strike. One example they gave me, they had a disagreement with management. They wanted three days for something. Management wanted two days. It went to the panel, and the answer came back one day. They were even more extreme than management. So if you don't have a panel advocating on behalf of workers, we got to figure out how to work, you know, and make this open up. But I I do think that day, that forced Donald Trump's hands and he had to reopen government with with nothing for the wall. Yeah, I think most Americans don't realize how tough it is for federal workers. This is, you know, what Pat Co faced, the tool yeah. that Reagan used to destroy that union. Anyhow, let's pick up some phone calls here. Sure. Christian in uh, Mendenales, New Mexico. Am I saying that right, Christian? You're doing pretty well. Mendenales, New Mexico. Okay. I just have a comment about the climate change. I'm originally from Minnesota, Congressman Mark. So I was a neighbor of yours for many years. Now, of course, I'm in New Mexico, where it's a little warmer. But I was just reading in a research article yesterday about scientists from the University of Colorado who were doing studies up in Baffin Island, up in the Arctic Circle, north, you know, Canada. And they're discovering Mother Earth that has no ice on it anymore. And they took samples of plants from areas that had melted off and revealed more of Earth. And these plants were like 40,000 years old. So the glaciers have already melted that much. It's just hard to believe. I'm just saying somebody's got to wake up and do something. This is going to be worse than we think if we don't do something. Yeah, Christian, we had several major reports come out just in the last year that said uh, we may even be past the point of no return. So continuing to ignore it, is this going to put us farther and farther past that point? We have to address it. The good news is I think many of the new people who just got elected to Congress are coming in with this as a major priority. Democrats in charge will make it move through some committees, so you're going to see legislation actually get passed on this front. But, you know, the president, when he did that stupid tweet about my area saying, oh, how we missed global warming, 
you know, even NOAA, the weather service, had a tweet out after that that the reason we have the deep cold temperatures is because of climate change, because of global warming. And even though he was denying it, we had to have a federal agency come out and say the opposite. We have to act on this, and, you know, I think this should be an issue for every 2020 presidential candidate. Okay. Monty in Blue River, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. The other day I listened to a congresswoman being interviewed about the Rio Grande River and how much is fenced, or the border between Mexico and the United States and how much is fenced. And she had no answer, which I think is unforgivable. But a little geography is in order that the border between Mexico and the United States, 50% of it is the Rio Grande River. And of the Rio Grande River, that 50%, 107 miles is bordered by the Big Bend National Park, which is some god-awful steep country that will never be fenced. So the part we're talking about is the point of river between the Gulf of Mexico and Big Bend area. And the question that never is discussed is, where are you going to put the fence? Is it on the Mexican side, the south side of the river? Is it in the middle of the river, which is ridiculous? So it's going to be on the north side of the river. Well... Does that mean we're going to write off all the Americans who use it as a recreational area and as fishing and water? Monty, Monty I just have a half a minute here. Let's ask Congressman Pocan to answer the question. Yeah, Monty, you're doing something very logical. You're assuming they really think the fence is a thoughtful idea, and they put some real pensive thought into how they would execute it. They haven't. I mean, clearly, this is just keep brown and black people out. Uh, we're going to put up a fence. This is their reactionary response, and they don't have any ideas. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile and internet provider now that the Republicans have destroyed net neutrality. That's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com Tom. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com Tom to learn more. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Kevin in Santa Fe, New Mexico. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you, Tom, and thank you, Congressman Pocan, for taking my call. I really appreciate your being accessible. I wonder, with all the talk of the improvements you're making to H.R. 676, the Medicare for All bill, if this will generate, finally, a CBO scoring of how beneficial this bill will be, and has that ever been done before? Yeah, Kevin, great uh, question. So, first of all, um, 676 was the old number of a bill from a previous session, 
it's not going to be the number this time. So it's really the Medicare for All bill. It's being modernized to more closely match what Senator Sanders had introduced in the Senate. It's a bill that matches, I think, some of the modern issues that came up with the old bill. So it's a very strong bill around Medicare for All. So I just want to put that out there because some people are still getting a little bit lost on the old number on it. But we should be able to get a CBO score because we're going to have We got a commitment to have a hearing, at least in rules and budget, and we're working on other committees to make sure we're going to have that. And I think the bill's going to drop in a few weeks. There'll be some actions, and probably around April, I think, we may be the first hearing. So we're going to have real movement on it this time. We'll be able to have more answers for people about what this is about, and hopefully we'll be able to put an issue out there for presidential candidates to respond to instead of just generic, what is Medicare for all, but a real specific concrete proposal that's in the Senate and the House. Phyllis in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning, gentlemen. My concern is for the contract workers. They are indeed federal workers, but it's been contracted out to private employers. Can the Congress do anything to get them taken away from the private contractors and made federal employees again so that they can take the benefits of the rule that made the back pay for the people during the shutdown. Undo the privatization, Congressman? Yeah, Phyllis, I think that'd be very hard to do at this point. I think the issue we're trying to do and fight for, and I don't know if we're going to be successful, is just trying to get back pay for the people who work for the contract employers. And, you know, even the White House ignores the question when they get asked this. I don't think they're trying to do anything about it. I think we're going to have a hard time with the Senate, with the Republican control trying to do that. So we're doing everything we can to raise awareness. We have a vote to try to give the federal employees a pay increase like the military has. So we're keeping federal employees, you know, treated more justly across the board. But that is certainly a flaw with what's out there. And Ayanna Presley led a press conference. She's working on a bicameral bill with a senator from Minnesota, Tina Smith, I believe, I apologize, that they are doing a bill to try to get money for the contract employees. And we're hoping we get a vote on the House in that. Steve in Albuquerque, New Mexico. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you, Congressman Pocam and Tom. Congressman Pocam, every time our Democrats run for office, it seems like the word socialism is used with most of our representatives as a dirty word by the Republicans. Isn't, in fact, our military budget, Veterans Administration, all the way down to the foot soldier, one of the largest socialized programs in the world? You put out a great point, Steve. Um, you know, much of what we do is pooling our resources and would be considered by some to be socialism, and yet people try to use it as a boogeyman. Even Representative Cheney, who's now in Republican leadership in the House floor, the day we swore in leadership and Nancy Pelosi became speaker, she referred to uh, socialism when she talked about the Democrats in the House of Representatives. It's their scare word. They're trying to make it something else. The, what they don't realize, I think, is, again, public is way smarter, I think, than people think they are in Washington, D.C., And when you look at demographics, younger people actually identify more uh, as socialists than they do capitalists because they're seeing so many flaws in the system. So I think we shouldn't be afraid of words and semantics, and we need to be able to talk about values, because when you talk about values, the American people agree with progressives on values, from health care to minimum wage increase and other issues. We're going to be stronger and we're going to be more successful if we work on it from a values perspective. Kathy in Etna, Wyoming. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Congressman, I constantly hear that the U.S. is the wealthiest country in the world. Then all other countries are less wealthy, yet they have health care for all. Why can't we afford to have health care for all? 
Yeah, Kathy, I'm with you. I mean, I completely agree. That's part of why we have a Medicare for All bill, why we have a caucus devoted to that, why we've strategized almost daily on this issue, why we're going to put lots of money into polling and focus groups to convince weaker need elected officials that their constituents want this and it's the right thing. I mean, I'm a small business owner. Tom's a small business owner. From that perspective, it makes a lot of sense. You put money back into the economy. Canada is not a third world country, nor is most of Europe. There's absolutely no reason why a country as rich as ours shouldn't have something for its citizens like healthcare for all. The problem you're going to face is all the special interests and lobbyists, the swamp, so to speak, in Washington, D.C., and we're all going to have to work very hard to overcome that to advance this idea. One opportunity is in the 2020 presidential race, and I think it's a really great opportunity. All these candidates who want the Democratic nomination should have to respond to this issue, minimum wage increase issues, debt-free college issues, a lot of other issues that we put forward. John in Janesville, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Mark. Representative Pocan, two things. I watched Fox and Friends, and Martha McCallum was on it. She had Representative Cicilline, I believe, from Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and she was quizzing him, and Health Care for All was brought up, and she brought out the point that it's going to cost $30 trillion for Health Care for All. And my point is that Cicilline didn't come back at her and say yes, but the way we're going now, it was going to cost $40 trillion. And being under the gun like that on Fox, I can imagine that he was, had a thousand things going through his head. The last point is, Representative Bokan, in relation to the Foxconn debacle over there, who got the contract for moving all the dirt from point A to point B? Could it have been Ryan Incorporated, Ryan Central, based in Janesville here? Thank you. I'm off the air, listening to you on the radio. Bye. Thanks, John. Great, John. So first of all, I agree. I think, you know, we all should be doing more Fox News, quite honestly, as Democrats, I think, because we need to put the facts out there. But if we don't have the facts and figures, we need to make sure we're going there with it. My guess is they said they wanted to talk about the shutdown. And as I've noticed, uh, sometimes you go to Fox, they do a bait and switch. And, you know, I think as we do more information about Medicare for All with the bill being introduced, more of those facts and figures will be at people's uh, fingertips. So uh, thanks for the heads up on that. On Foxconn, you know, this is an interesting one, Tom. You know, the Foxconn proposal in Wisconsin that Scott Walker touted as his answer to job creation, the president touted bringing these jobs, announced that it's not going to be a factory anymore, that they're going to maybe have some uh, researchers and engineers, but they're not going to anymore do what they had promised all the jobs for all that money we were going to give them. Oh, really? Didn't they give Foxconn like billions of dollars? Well, it hasn't happened yet. They didn't hit their early job goals, so they didn't get all the money. But yeah, everything from eminent domain to water conditions and everything else. And now they're backing off of the deal. And I think this is just the start of finding out what they've done in other states where they promised things and not delivered it. But, you know, they promised across the state of Wisconsin they were going to build things. They promised $100 million to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I think we're finding now that, once again, you know, since Donald Trump doesn't really stand up for very much, they don't fear him anymore that they have to create jobs here. And this is what we're seeing happen. All lies from Paul Ryan and Scott Walker. That's amazing. Tom in Tomahawk, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Congressman Pocan. I want to know if this is kind of off the subject what we're talking about today. I want to know when we're going to get free Internet in the United States. You know, I formed a rural broadband caucus here in Congress, a bipartisan caucus 
for this issue. You know, Tomahawk and many parts of Wisconsin are very rural, and we have a real problem, Tom, across the country and people having access to Internet, affordable Internet, because the telecommunication companies don't want to put money out to make sure that everyone is wired. But these days, if you're not wired, you don't have a business, you can't do homework, you really, it's something that we all need. We have talked through our office about regulating Internet like a utility, uh, that that would make great sense. I can guarantee the opposition from the telecommunication companies would be fierce, especially, you know, given some laws that happened, uh, you know, last year around net neutrality. We've saw their actions on that. But I agree with you. In the modern America, it's like having electricity or running water is having Internet, and we really should address it like a utility. The one thing that would break open the entire monopoly structure that we have in the United States right now is if we did like France does, and I can forward you an article about this in the New York Times, where they say whoever owns the pipe into your house, the, the fiber, the cable, the whatever it may be, whoever owns that pipe into your house can charge you a reasonable price for that, say $10, $20 a month you know, for that pipe. But then when you want your internet service that comes through that pipe, you can buy it from anybody. And this is how it was with telephones back when you could choose AOL or CompuServe. It was coming over your phone. It didn't matter you know, who your internet service provider was. And they do that in France. And so in France, internet service, you know, 100 MIPS, high speed, is like 20 bucks a month. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, there's some other proposals out there, too, that don't necessarily follow the old technology that would get internet to people in rural areas much more affordably. I just think we should do uh, throw all the spaghetti at the wall and let's find out how to make sure because anything that competes with telecommunication companies that don't want to put this out there right now would be good to make sure people have access. Yeah. Well, if you required the people who own the pipes, Comcast in my case, to allow me to choose whatever internet service provider I wanted, right. you'd have hundreds of competitors. It really drives You may not need those pipes with some of the other proposals that are out there that could save a lot of money. That's so true. Some other That's true. possibilities. Though. Congressman, thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Tom. Great Appreciate talking. It. With you. Thank you. Congressman Mark Pocan, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. On the line with us is Bob Nay, the author of Sideswiped, former congressman from Ohio. Hey, Bob. Hello, Tom. I'm curious if you're hearing from anybody. I mean, I just was, you know, jaw drop astounded. This AP story where the administration is now saying, yes, we have thousands of children we've torn away from their parents. It's too much work to reunite them. There's 47,000 cases and it would take 100 employees working 471 days to review all of these kids and reunite them. And besides that, even if they could do it, quote, the children would likely be emotionally harmed by being taken away from their foster parents and given back to their parents because they've had enough time to bond to their foster parents. This is as obscene as it gets, Bob. Is there any blowback happening in D.C. to this kind of crap? No. I just will be frank with you, that story did not get the attention. I mean, that's one of those stories that, and it may develop, don't get me wrong, Tom, but that's one of those stories that you would think there would be an immediate outcry and even a potential immediate investigation, you know, demand yeah. as to, to what happens, because these are not children that have been legally taken and been some ad litem, and then all of a sudden they're put into permanent care. They're in foster care. That's not permanent care. It was never designed to be permanent care. But this would be a permanent move by the administration, because then what happens when they deport the parents? Yeah. 
No, I this 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 is know? this is obscene beyond description. This is, and we now know that we've got forty-eight thousand immigrants or refugees actually in our uh, detention camps, in our concentration camps. And the two thirds of them are in concentration camps run by private for-profit companies that are making billions of dollars off this. And Donald Trump is getting political hay off this from his white racist right-wing base. But beyond that, I mean, this, you know, when Hitler started putting people in camps the, long before the death camps, I'm talking about the labor camps, the internment camps, you know, he got a political boost for that, at least among his base. I'm guessing Trump is getting the same. This just blows my mind. Anyhow, what else is going on, Bob? Well, and, and Tom, also, nobody's questioning it's the human tragedy side. Nobody's questioning even the economic side, because you, you made a good point. These are private companies. Some of them are charging. I mean, this is amazing when you think about it. $700 per day per person. Right. It's a, that kind of charge. It's, a very, that, it's that an obscenely and insanely profitable business, which is why, you know, they want to expand it. Trump wants to expand it. It just blows my mind. Right. The foreign policy is all over the place. Not that it hasn't been, but it even gets more bizarre. The president has now announced, well, on top of the course, there's the Syria withdrawal, and then he goes contrary to his intel people, you know, what they're saying on it. We know that. Then there was the issue of North Korea, and we know that. Now, the issue of Iran came up where he, of course, says that Iran is the most dangerous entity on earth, and not that the government is a walk in the park, but obviously he doesn't think Saudi Arabia is dangerous, but he thinks Iran's dangerous, and that goes contrary to exactly what Director Coates said the other day, that Iran doesn't have nuclear capability because of, obviously, the Obama agreement that he had with Iran to decrease the centrifuges. Now, having said all of that, we still sponsored a worldwide conference on the danger of Iran, and the president announced that we're going to have troops in Iraq to do what? To watch Iran. Yeah. And what has happened in Iraq, Tom, frankly, we are pushing ourselves out of the sphere of influence in Iraq, period, because this fight with Iran internally in Iraq, actually both countries have been hurt by it. The Iraqi government itself is, has grown tired of it. You have a... Um, well, Iraq is now an ally to Iran. Right, correct. I mean, the first so, the first big business to open in Iraq was the Bank of Bank of Iran, or the Bank of right. whatever the city in Bank Iraq. Of, right, of Iran. But but he's going to keep troops there to watch Iran. Yeah, right. Iraq doesn't want done. Right. Uh, this is another example of the Donald Trump doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Bob Nay with Talk Media News. Thank you, Congressman. Great talking with you. Well, quite a day today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time. And we never even discussed the Super Bowl. Well, that's a relief. <laughs> we'll be back. Same bad time, same bad place tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It really isn't. You know, I've been sitting around complaining about Donald Trump. It's cathartic, but it doesn't move the needle. It doesn't move things forward. It doesn't make things happen. That happens when you join a group, when you show up, when you actually participate. So get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We need your help. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.